1: Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening.
0: Hey guys, Jim here with Creative Play and Podcast Network. And joining us today is Thomas from Sixpence Games to talk about a little thing called Fear of the Unknown, a zero prep horror mystery role playing game.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Hey, Thomas.
1: Uh, yeah, so Fear of the Unknown. Uh, like you said, zero prep, horror, mystery, role-playing game. It's powered by the apocalypse, which I'm guessing most of your listeners know what that means. But in case they don't, it means that it, uh, it was, in some sense, inspired by the very, very good RPG apocalypse world by Vincent and Megui Baker. Um, I have so much I could say about it. and <laughs> I don't know where to start. Uh, I guess the tagline is... Solve mysteries, face perils, encounter horrors, and see how that changes you as a person. The idea is every game is a horror movie.
0: I pleasantly came across the uh, Fear of the Unknown first on drive-through RPG when I was looking for some spooky Halloween games to get playing. And then I'm like, what is this Fear of the Unknown? And then all of a sudden I discovered as soon as I did a little Google Foo, I'm like, there's currently a Kickstarter that ends on Halloween for Fear of the Unknown. So I'm like, let's find out more. So immediately I'm like, ooh, backing? And I'm going to leave a little comment there to you guys saying, hey, like chat sometimes, we love games. And I, of course, love the idea of let's make a horror movie with zero prep, which is as a GM. I am a huge fan of the concept of zero prep. Let's show up and make something freaking fantastic happen.
1: Yeah, Uh Thank you. I'm. I'm yeah, the, the Kickstarter is running right now until midnight on Halloween. And, uh, yeah, did you have questions? <laughs>
0: I, I do. I do many questions. But first, uh, where on Kickstarter can you find Fear of the Unknown?
1: Uh, so you should be able to find it by just going to kickstarter.com and searching for it. The URL is, um, like, kind of long because they have kind of long <laughs> Kickstarter URLs, but it's kickstarter.com slash project slash suspense games slash Fear of the Unknown Zero Prep Horror Mystery Role Playing with like a hyphen in between each of those. But really, you should just go to Kickstarter.com and search for Fear of the Unknown. It's the one that says Fear of the Unknown. <laughs> it
0: has the beautiful screaming face.
1: It does.
0: Zero Prep Horror Mystery Role Playing.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: so, so when you mean zero prep, what do you mean by zero prep? Uh, we all know not all zero preps are the same.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I was having a conversation with someone about that uh, a little while ago, and they were saying like, oh, well, nobody means zero prep. They mean like it's much less prep than a traditional game like D&D. But I mean zero prep. If if you know the rules of the game, uh, you can walk in and that's all you need and you can sit down and run a game. And the way that that works is this game is designed, Fear of the Unknown is designed for one shots. Every game is a different game standalone horror movie, although you can string them together into a series for sure. Um, And so at the beginning of a session, you and as the GM or Oracle, as it's called in the game and the players all uh, collaboratively create the setting. And then once you've created the setting, the players uh, create their characters together uh, and part of each character like part of creating the setting creates uh locations and npcs and organizations the town obsession things like that that you can uh pull in as narrative elements in the story uh as as you play the game and they have mechanical effects when you pull them in and then uh When the players create their characters, including creating the relationships between their characters, like how they know each other or whether they know each other. Um, And also, each player creates at least one NPC as part of their character creation. So, the end result of that is you have a whole lot of narrative elements that you can use uh, as you're telling the story. But then to get the basic structure of that story, uh, there are some really useful sort of random tables that. The GM has access to, where uh you roll on uh do I not have one in hand? Oh dang. Uh well you roll on you roll on four separate uh D6 tables to generate the um what kind of thing the antagonist is. Like is it a uh normal person? Uh is it some sort of unstoppable supernatural being? Is it a conspiracy, etc.? Uh, you roll for what their motive is, like is it revenge, is it jealousy, uh, you roll for their uh, what it is they're doing, like is it uh, just randomly killing people, is it kidnapping people, is it haunting a specific location, etc. Uh, and finally, you roll for the inciting incident, which is something like the a player is an attempted victim, or... uh, something happens to one of the NPCs that you've created, uh, et cetera. And so that gives you this sort of skeleton of the mystery that you then use all those details that you've generated uh, in setting and character creation to flesh out. Does that all make sense? Yeah, it it does
0: does to me, because I know you've chatted about it before, but, you know, one thing I love about the system is it takes the best parts, in my opinion, what I like about fade or Dresden Files, and Power by the Apocalypse, and literally brings them together. In the fact that you know, like in Dresden Files, when you do collaborative city generation, this is a beautifully simplified version of that. So it's not taking you one whole session to build a city. In fifteen minutes, your friends could go just around the table, create the setting, the NPCs, which I love when players make NPCs because totally helps you as a GM get the player buy-in and they get so much more player agency when they realize they created old old lady crothers that's down the street that sees all and knows all you know so you get that that beautiful feel of somebody reaches into their head and pulls out a character and just plops it down on the table because it's an archetype that everyone can latch onto then. And the fact that the GM does not have to spend all of this time randomly coming up with names for NPCs out of the <laughs> out of the back of their head, which we all know, names are one of the hardest things in GMing.
1: Absolutely. Story,
0: plot, encounter, easy. Names. Um. Uh. uh he's Bob the Alchemist. <laughs> <laughs> but the beautiful thing with. With, with Fear of the Unknown is the fact that you use tags, which is such a beautiful game system because it then doesn't limit people. Because it's not like in, in, say, D&D, we'll totally throw the, the D20 system out there. <laughs> where, some, where all of a sudden someone sneaks and everyone does that. We all know every game group that does that. Who's got the best stealth? And everybody starts going through their character sheets. Instead, it's you have tags that if you make your tag general but specific, you know, as I always tell everybody in fate things, is general but specific you know so this is a specific thing but you could use it for multiple things it's not metagaming or basically throwing it out there and seeing if it sticks in every situation yeah the team up idea i mean well i'll totally let you get into that (laughs) i'm a fan of you know like like we did talk that one time about splitting the party your system actually rewards that idea as well as the whole okay this makes sense that these three people are doing one thing And the other folks are doing another thing because, well, why just stand around when you can multitask?
1: Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. So um, for anyone who's not already familiar with the term tags, uh, what we mean by that is like short descriptive phrases like, I'm the high school quarterback, or I have a stalker, or I carry a revolver in my purse, or I'm the head of the PTA, I don't know. (laughs) I
0: mean,
1: yeah, yeah, things, things like that. So, uh, the idea then is when you uh, make a roll, either to investigate, which is when you have a question that you want to try to find the answer to, or when you face peril, which is when you're in a potentially deadly situation. Whenever you roll for one of those things, you see which tags of yours you either think would be relevant or want to pull into the scene and so you can select up to three of your positive tags or uh, town tags because town tags are wild which means they can be invoked by players to help them out or by the gm to make things harder so you select up to three positive tags the gm selects up to two of your negative tags which represent like flaws or weaknesses or things that get in your, your character's way, you get plus one for each positive tag you invoked, you get minus one for each negative tag that was invoked, and that determines your modifier. But more importantly, the selection of tags determines what fictional elements are in play in the scene. And so, for instance, one thing that I, I really love when players like figure, <laughs> figure out that this is a, a fun thing that they can do is the different NPCs are represented by tags. And so if there's a character who's not in the scene, but you want them to be, you invoke them as a tag and then they show up for some reason. And you have to figure out why and, and work them into the narrative in a way that makes sense. Uh, And like you were saying, yeah, giving the players um, agency and ownership over the NPCs like that is something that I've found is really popular with the players, (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's nice when they can play junior GM on their own and actually manipulate NPCs and get that, that good feel. So besides like in a good, bad B movie, you always yeah. want at least one NPC to die during the <laughs> investigation or horror story, you know? Well, so that oh way, yeah. Oh, we need to sacrifice this NPC to save our butts. Let, let's, <laughs> let's throw the sheriff in the way just because.
1: Yeah. And, and that is absolutely uh, a mechanic. you, uh, in the game, when you face peril, instead of taking an injury yourself, if there was a town tag in the scene, you can mark off that town tag. And so, like if it's an NPC, maybe they get killed. But if the town tag represents like a, a location in the town, for instance, maybe it burns down, uh, or one time uh, it got flooded in in one of the stories and washed away in that regard. So.
0: You can have any environmental impact in the horror movie. I mean, we all yeah. know rainstorms are a great way to be stuck in a small town. Exactly.
1: So, and, yeah, yeah, you were mentioning uh, how how this is like a, bee, a schlocky bee horror movie, and that, that's very intentional. And uh, one of the things that I've found is most important to me as a viewer of that kind of movie is that I really want to have strong opinions about the characters. And so those can be positive opinions where I I love them and I want to see them survive. Or those could be negative opinions where I hate them and I want to see them die. And one of the things that I really like about what I've managed to, to get this system doing is that the players pretty much always have strong opinions about the characters. Like they love their character because they're their character that they created. And they love the characters that they you know, created connections with their characters with as as part of character creation, and frequently they hate the NPCs that they come up with. Like, they'll come up with, like, you know, the uh, corrupt sheriff or, you know, the sleazeball mayor and things like that. And then getting to sacrifice that character instead of having their character be injured is...
0: (laughs) That's a cherry on top
1: right there. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Someone died and it wasn't one of us. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, th- think of how many of the horror movies when the bad guy's lurking around the house or the, or the haunted mansion, and the, everyone's locking down the doors, and then all of a sudden there's a bang at the door and they open it, and it's the, the, the skeezy sheriff. And then all of a sudden, knife goes through him from the backside. But now the players have a chance to escape.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, Exactly. That's exactly like in every
0: horror thought. movie, you don't stop about the dead body. I mean, the NPC who's now a dead body, you just keep running! <laughs> <laughs> but, but, and that's the beauty of it. When it comes to rolling in the system, it's a 2D6 system, so it's an easy way of plus one to three, you know, depending on if you're adding pluses or negatives, it's always going to be plus one to three.
1: Or it could be negative. It could Like, if you invoke <laughs> one positive tag and I invoke two negatives, it could be negative one. <laughs> That's some so, hardcore
0: stuff right there.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a pretty <laughs> bad situation.
0: All of a sudden, you know, you're not having a lot of math. You know, it's 2D6. You're looking for your good target numbers, which are the uh, 13 pluses.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, man, no. 13 plus is actually, so there's different results ranges. The normal results ranges are uh, 6 or below which for, for Face Parallel and Investigate, that's really bad, and that means that the GM gets to pick some options from, the, from that part of the move description. Uh, and then there's 7 through 9, which is pretty good, uh, and the player gets to pick one of the options. And then there's 10 or above, which is really good, and the player gets to pick one of those options. And what you were talking about with the 13-plus is... Um, a slightly different mechanic. That's the encounter true horror move, and that oh. one, your tags aren't relevant, and in in that one you add, and you add the amount of horror you've accumulated so far, and because uh, and therefore on that one, um, the higher the result, the more dangerous. So if you're getting a uh, thirteen or higher on encountering true horror, um. That's the sort of result where one of the options you can pick is, uh, you join up with the bad guy, and and you become convinced that they're right, or like you get assimilated into the hive mind, or you turn into a zombie, or whatever it is that's going on. You you uh, are no longer on uh, the same team as the rest of the players.
0: Mm, That's a beautiful moment, like in Indiana Jones Temple to Doom, he drinks the Kool Aid out of the skull, and you're just like. Indy, Indy, and he's now one of the cores. Yeah. Yeah. But but the nice thing is, you know, because a lot like with Power to the Apocalypse, if you get a six or negative, it does suck. But there is a reward in a way, isn't there?
1: Yes, that's right. Yeah, so there are, there are three kinds of experience point that you keep track of in Fear of the Unknown. And the one you're talking about that you get on a six or below on any of the moves is... Uh, called foreboding and with that one if you accumulate three or more of it you can spend that to do the reveal something about the world move and that move you don't have to roll for you just pick one of the options uh which is like creating another town tag for example so it, it lets you affect the story in some way outside of your character and then you get to have a little scene that where that's just you and you describe what the thing is that you're introducing to the story. And the other two kinds of our experience are, we already mentioned, um, horror. Once you have three or more horror, you can let the horror sink in, which lets you get rid of three horror, but you have to pick a bad thing that happens. Um, and every time that the Oracle invokes one of your negative tags, you gain a humanity. And humanity is the thing that's closest to a traditional form of experience point. Once you have three or more of that, you can trade it in to reveal something about yourself and uh, improve your character in some way.
0: So like, like the one I like is if you do the uh, cash-in on your 3-4 boating, you can do the someone you know comes to town. So you can always say, the my big brother who's in the army just showed up with his duffel bag and a service weapon. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's the perfect use of that.
0: And like in classic horror movie style, when you do the humanity, you know, you're working on overcoming your weakness. So one of your negative tags, you could have gotten earlier from facing danger, basically. The, the whole crippled leg that's been throwing you back. You could totally do that horror movie pause where everybody gets together and chats for a few minutes while they're hiding. And I talk about how mm, my dad's got a bad limp when he got hurt football back in high school i hope i don't get hurt like that too and then all of a sudden hey my knee's not hurt so bad you know the plus side is it, it's a great system it is it has a reward to help you fail forward if you fail which which is something i really do like so it's one of those of situation was bad it did not work out as intended but there is a cash out at least you know
1: yeah. Here's there's a silver problem. lining <laughs> <laughs>
0: Just because the, you know, the oracle is enjoying it doesn't mean they can't reward you with a humanity or a horror or a foreboding. It's a give and take, you know, and it really does help the players feel they have the power to buy in and throw more into the story after character creation of notes. Because all of a sudden they're just like, hey, I've already plotted what I'm going to do with this when I hit this. Three. And you literally will see players do that whole, <laughs> and they're strategizing. Especially my Pathfinder friends, they're strategizing what what they're going to cash in when they can actually get to that point. Cash in, so they're willing to try to do things because they're not not afraid to be gun shy of, of pulling the trigger on on a skill.
1: That's wonderful. I'm I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, encouraging people to actively make decisions and try things out, even if they're not you know perfectly optimized for it that's that's a, that is a fantastic consequence i'm really glad to hear that
0: yeah and and of course you know one nice thing too is you can you can assist each other in the game too so you can chip in as you know group members i'll i'll loan you my bow and i'll loan you my axe you know to, to help get up to that plus three you can totally have players work together which is nice <laughs> and then you know like we joked about earlier it also gives the other players something to go do and split the party. Three people work on fixing the pickup truck. What are the other two people going to do? You're not just going to hide behind the wall of chainsaws, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, man, you got to get into the fray.
0: <laughs> Let's go into the creepy house and look at the newspaper clippings. What's the worst that happens?
1: Yeah. <laughs> and... Oh yeah and you you mentioned earlier uh liking the assisting other people mechanic which sounds like you were just describing with let's all go check this out together um yeah i i i'm pretty happy with that uh so the way the way that works is if you have um if you want to cooperate together on something uh, usually on an uh, investigate role, then one person is the lead investigator and they're going to be the person who rolls the dice and picks the option uh, from, from their choices and everyone else who wants to contribute uh, can select one of their tags that they are helping out with and add it to, to the total. But you're still limited to a maximum of three positive tags, which means that if the person if the lead investigator is contributing one then two other people can contribute and then that's it uh and so if if you have more than three people in, in your group then you're naturally incentivized to split the party because a fourth person helping doesn't help out there um and then the way that uh it actually works out once they've made the role is if the uh, lead investigator, rolls at least a seven, and so they do find a clue, which means that they get to ask a question, and the GM gives them either like a complete answer or a partial answer. Uh, then the everyone who assisted them gets to ask a follow-up question. And so... Which is a great reward. Yeah, thank you. And, and so the result of all this is with all the different narrative elements that you're drawing in, and you build out, like, a nice, long, relatively elaborate scene with a single roll of the dice. Uh, Because you, you know what all is going to be in the scene, and you know the result of it after the roll. You know they're going to be able to find, like, if three people are cooperating on it, they'll find three pieces of information. And you get to generate them what those specific clues are based on the... Uh, questions that they're asking and what tags they're invoking instead of having to come up with a bunch of clues ahead of time and hope that they search for them the way that you expected.
0: <laughs> Which we know we know, as game masters. You write these clues and they totally go after something else.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Which, that,
0: that... That's one thing I do like about the Zero Prep is literally this is one of those style RPGs where you literally are rewarded for going in there with no preconceptions. So you're not limited, which is which is a nice thing to do. Because you get together within 15 minutes, you take a quick break, everything's ready to go. When you come back, boom, you're in the game, you know. And it's literally no eight to 12 hours of prep before game time, you know. It's one of those of hey, we can spend eight to 12 hours watching bad B horror movies.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, man, that that's the perfect way to prep for this. Uh, put on a bunch of old. 80s slasher flicks or, or 70s Jalo films or, like, any sort of mysterious, horrifying movie.
0: Any VHS that came out with a 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 or more. <laughs> <laughs> and the nice thing is, with, with the GM having the random tables, even the Game Master doesn't quite know, so you're, you're not preconceptualizing things, so you can stay fluid and roll with it and you know like like most of this style of dice rolling games is you're literally letting the dice answer the question you know because it's one of those of let's find out the answer together as you roll the dice because maybe there was no right, right answer you know you're investigating and it just came up bobkis because there was no clue here but you know something bad then happens
1: <laughs> yeah yeah that's i I mean, to be honest, when I'm running the game, I almost always give them some amount of information, no matter how badly they roll. It's just that if they roll badly, I also have a lot of other bad stuff happen. I, I always think it's uh, it's more interesting to uh, not, like, just, just from my own perspective, the, uh, it's more interesting to, to let them find stuff out, but put them in a shitty situation. Um, and, and one thing I definitely want to emphasize is that uh, any time that, that somebody rolls the dice, the current fictional situation should change. They should um, I, either uh, they find out information and therefore they have a new question that they want to ask, or they're in a worse situation and they have to deal with that. Or you know something good happens. To, if, if they roll well enough, then they can you know, make allies and stuff like that uh, de- depending on which options they choose
0: yeah the the dice roll is really a story beat in the story's pacing i mean it it this is a important thing we're not just rolling to roll we're rolling because this is a this is a arc beat of the story of whether it's going this way or that which and, and that's one thing i joke with players in other games with that are just like dying to roll that d20 you know it's like guys you, you, you don't have to roll often you know <laughs> in a game setting i'll give you a description and then follow it up with the anything more than that you may have to roll something you know and then not tell them and ask what the action is as opposed to the choice that they want to make because we know players sometimes they'll get a little 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 code wordified and they'll say oh yeah i totally want to do this skill or this role and it's like no 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 tell me the action then we see what happens and then you can do the dice roll results is the clarifying of this is what I tried to do in my head, but here's how it really worked out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting since I've been running so many games of this during all of the play testing process and everything. Um, I, I've played with a, a lot of different players from a lot of different backgrounds. And I absolutely do see players who, usually people who've played, like, a lot of DD or, or Pathfinder who are like, I want to use specific abilities and things like that. And I find that uh, I've actually ran for, for two different people who uh, it was their very first role-playing game that they, like, they'd never played any role-playing game before, but were interested in... Right. Yeah. yeah, and they were both fantastic because they didn't come in with any preconceptions or anything. They just went with the flow of what was going on and did a really good job. So There's,
0: there's something magical when you get a newbie at the, at the table that feeds off the creative energy and just starts going crazy, and you're like, ah, Here's 12, bring it to <laughs> <eight."> <laughs> You're creating a little too much in the world, but I love where you're going with this. So I'm going to use it. (laughs) (laughs) But it is great when when you get somebody new at the table, and and they may not know mechanics of role-playing games, but they're immediately getting the idea of make-believe and imagination, which is the the key points of this. I mean, you know, we're talking about role-play games in general. It's We're playing make-believe. The rules are just there to give us guide rails to make sure we don't, you know, one person goes too powerful over the group or another person just you know takes over the show which
1: is totally the oracle's job hello <laughs> <laughs> well but, you know. yeah yeah i mean i don't know that that's definitely taking over the show is definitely the gm's job in most games but i really would like to um i mean use using the show metaphor like if this were thinking of this as a as a tv show or movie or something in the way i think of it is in most games the players are actors who are playing their characters and the gm is the writer director and in fear of the unknown the players are actors and the gm is the director but everybody's everybody's in the writing room and so uh i i I really try to be like, no matter how outlandish the things that the players say, as long as everybody's vibing with it and it's not like killing the game for anyone or anything like that, I I try to go with what they're doing and they don't get to like decide who the killer is. They can decide who their character thinks the killer is.
0: (laughs) That's when the good stuff happens.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but like really I can only think of like one time that a player was really uh, like going in directions that didn't work for anybody else and that was at a convention where the player I was talking I'm talking about was a, a boomer who was only playing the game because his son was playing the game and he wanted to like see what these role-playing game things that his son did were for and so he his character's name was like a sex joke and he could just catch oh. making sex jokes and mm-hmm. I I would occasionally let him, you know, do things, but I would mostly focus on the other players. And his <laughs> son was great. His son was really good. So
0: <laughs> I mean, I often in my games, when I know the, the audience that I'm talking to here, I will totally do that when I know the audience because when you're at a con setting, you have to play by different rules.
1: Yeah. Uh it man, I don't feel like the whole
0: family setting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. There were like Kids around, so <laughs> yeah, it's that's that's not a private situation like most games are.
0: when you have just a group and the circle of trust is there.
1: Yeah, yeah, so, and uh, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt I'm you, but it, you made. It, I guess okay, yeah. So circle of trust, like that that uh, that you just brought up, that's a good point. Um, and one of the things that I'm pretty happy about with the system uh, is that. So, like, the mechanics and, the, like, the Oracle, are, but mostly the mechanics, will say when your character, uh, like, gains a negative tag or something like that, but the player is always the person who picks what the negative tag is. So you're never going to be in a situation where it's, like... Uh, like, a thing I've, I know a lot of people who play a lot of horror games have complained about is, like, I don't want to have to deal with, like, A character who suddenly gets OCD because, like, I have OCD in real life, and I don't want my fucking character to have it too. (laughs) Um, It's
0: role playing for a reason.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's like ah, but I rolled a seventy three on the random mental illness table, and that's OCDs. That's what you get. (laughs) And there's none of that. Like in this, sure, like your character got horrified, and now they have a trauma symptom, which is represented by a negative tag but you decide what that is. So like, if you want to play a character who has OCD, you can do that. If you want to play a character who, uh, it, you know, gets a phobia of being outdoors around strangers now, because that's where the event happens. You could pick that. Uh, if you just want to have it be that your character is having a guilt trip or like having bad nightmares, anything like that, because all of those things can then be brought into the story as you know, a fictional element by invoking their tag, and then you build the scenes around the tags you invoke, and so uh, whatever you pick, the GM will be able to work with.
0: Yeah, and then that's the nice thing is the player gets to literally pick their poison when something negative happens. You know, you could be the guy who now's got the the little cue card in front of him that says "someone peed themselves." <laughs> that's the tag you pick because now anytime there's a social interaction, there's definitely a tag there. The tag <laughs> guy goes sniffing the air and immediately knows which direction to go because you had asparagus the night before.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, you could definitely pick a like <laughs> yeah you, you could pick like i i peed myself as um as a temporary tag if you wanted it to be like just your character peed themselves in that one dangerous moment because they were so scared or you could pick like uh and and then it would go away eventually after your character like changes clothes and takes a bath um but and then or or You could pick a different option from the you know list of of severities of injury and you could take a permanent negative tag that is like your character pees themselves when scared uh and then it'll keep coming up and might come up in social situations might come up in dangerous situations all that sort of stuff so yeah you can use this the same sort of ideas in a variety of ways depending on like how much you want it to come into play
0: and, and the nice thing is, you're picking it. So if you want to be tongue in cheek with your character, you can totally do that. Because you know, Biff, the football quarterback, beat himself. So all the people he's probably bullied at one point or another. If he decides when he has his character building, that that's our weird relationship. That we we nobody picks on you, but me is our character relationship. You know. <laughs> and now they can poke fun at that guy, and you could totally have a great around the table camaraderie because of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I really like how um, the players coming up with that and, and talking with each other about like their opinions about the different tags and things like that. Because uh, while nobody else can control what tags you get, they can still make suggestions, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, like you said, the sort of player camaraderie and, and sense of building things together uh, is a lot of fun. I really enjoy it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those ones like... Uh... The, the new genesis star wars you know, again when people roll threats or advantages so they get a boost or something detrimental that happens it's funny when players can pick their poison or suggest to each other something detrimental that'll happen to the group as a whole how interesting the dynamic happens with your player group because they all realize something bad's happening let's let's have fun with it you know and, and it's one of those that they don't see that a negative thing is happening but an interesting thing is happening And that's one that I always love in RPGs when you remind folks that uh, something interesting is about to happen. Could be good, could be negative, but it's not bad. It's just interesting. Unless you roll really, really bad. But then again, you're playing a horror game that's probably a one-shot, so it's okay to take those characters and drive it like you stole it, you know? (laughs) Enjoy every aspect of them while you have them, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I... I've played uh, plenty of games where people eagerly watched their characters die as they did reckless things over and over in the game. Oh, man. In fact, uh, one of the earlier playtests that I played, in the very first time that... So like Fear of the Unknown doesn't have hit points uh, or, or anything like that. Instead, the different moves have these different options on them, and some of those you have to mark them off. So when you pick one of those... Uh, you can't pick it again unless you recover it some way. And most of the moves have a built-in way to recover uh, the options, but the 7 through 9 results range on face peril does not. There's only a few options that represent different levels of injury, and the last one is that you die. And also, you could always mark off uh, a town tag instead of getting injured. Um, but I, I ran a game one time where... Uh, the very first time that somebody faced peril, he was like, I I choose that my character dies. Um, And in the same like moment at the same thing that was happening, uh, the the person that he was with his, which was his character's wife um, was, which was another player character uh, was having to uh, encounter true horror, um, but did well and was able to like, uh, uh, gain a, a, a tag from it and he was like, can I, can can we have the tag that, that she gains be that my ghost is haunting her. That is beautiful. <laughs> and so for the rest of the game, he would like, she would invoke him as a tag to, and it would be like his ghost goes and, and like learns some information or or spooks the bad guy and, uh, and like he could talk to her but he couldn't talk to the other characters at the table and it was just So creative, I never would have thought of that. But they were like, they came up with it, asked if it works, and my answer is almost always yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Why? Because it's interesting. And you know, it gives you that feel from like American Werewolf in in London or Paris, depending on which bad 80s version you're looking at. Your best friend is a ghost, but now can like scout ahead, do an investigation.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's a great comparison.
0: Interesting from a different point of view. But the fact that he cowboyed up and took death,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and it it makes me uh, appreciate how versatile and and easy and, and simple the um, tag system is because we were just like we were like okay that you're a tag you can do a thing when they invoke you on the tag and the mechanical effect of the thing will be plus one to the roll, uh, but we didn't need to like look up or even come up with mechanics for role-playing as a ghost. We just used the, used the mechanics we already had and rolled with it, and it worked great.
0: Because <laughs> that, that's a great way, because the tags do give you fluidity of rules. You know, it's it's one of those of it's general but specific, so that way you can use it, like, you're not throwing it out there all the time, you know, because after all, you are technically risking that tag any time you throw <laughs> it out there. It, it is on the table as something that could go wrong, and, you know, Indeed. it's one of those, do you want to lose that tag? You know, my pickup truck with the rifle in the rack, you know. Do you want to risk your pickup truck with the rifle in the rack every time you're doing something that's not super, super important? I mean, granted, you're making a cool story and your pickup truck is always there with at least half a gallon, half a tank of gas in it, at least, unless you rolled really bad. Sputter, 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 stop, stop, stop. <laughs> Or you, you pull up the hood and realize the distributor cap and the battery's been ripped out. Guess what? The killer was prepared for this. Obviously, you're the guy who's always with the pickup truck with the rifle in the rack. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, just to get a quick tasting of the setting idea, really quick, how would you set up as, as a team, as an Oracle with your player group, set up the setting with them from from the
1: get-go? Uh sure yeah we so um the first thing that we do is figure out the general location that the setting is going to be in and what time period we're talking about so this is uh it's definitely a small isolated town uh but it could be um and it's usually people almost always pick like in the real world but you could do it in like a fantasy or sci-fi setting as well um but it's usually uh let's like a, a small coastal town, um, or perhaps it's in the mountains, or perhaps it's, you know, surrounded by farmland for a hundred miles in every direction. But the the point is that it's uh cut off from the rest of society for the most part. Um and uh and then you pick the time period that you want it to be set in, which is usually the uh, 20th or 21st centuries, but not necessarily. I played a game that was set in uh, 1692 Salem, Massachusetts and that was fun. That could get (laughs) dangerous. Yeah, there was a witch trial. One of the players got burned as a witch.
0: (laughs) And the problem was she's probably used by the witch.
1: Uh, No, they they were... uh, Oh man so the the wit- there wasn't actually a witch but there was a magic tree and one of the players ended up like getting absorbed and becoming like a, a the spirit of the tree and uh, one of the players got burned as a witch it was it was a whole thing that I can't remember all the details of but uh yeah so so where and when would you like this to be set uh,
0: let's go with uh, let's, let's totally embrace the Cthulhu-ness, a coastal lighthouse town in the 1920s
1: okay great so uh uh you mentioned a lighthouse which leads right into the first question so you're going to uh i'm going to ask you five questions and you'll end up with five town tags which are wild tags that any player and the gm uh can invoke so for the first question what's a local landmark gain a town tag like the abandoned quarry or the statue of the beloved town founder or the only diner in town
0: I would totally throw out the rocky cliffs that are just shy of the lighthouse.
1: Okay. Uh, so you've met. this is the second time you've mentioned the lighthouse. And I do want to say that, in general, if we want to have uh, something um, come into play in the story, then it should be represented by a tag. So if we want this lighthouse to be important, then it should be represented by a tag. But... You don't have to pick it right now. There will be another opportunity to get it. So for right now, we can go with uh, the cliffs. So the second question is, who's someone that everyone in town knows, or at least knows of, gain a town tag like the gregarious dean or the slimy mayor or the quietly intimidating crime lord?
0: I'm going to say, just because I mentioned Cthulhu earlier, the slimy mayor. You never (laughs) know where that might go never know maybe he was the descendant of previous mayors that had no problem turning off the lighthouse when boats came by economic boon for everyone
1: yeah (laughs) um yeah so the third question is what is a group that at least a sizable portion of the town despises gain a town tag like the corrupt police or the ivory tower university or the bicycle gang with hearts of gold
0: uh, you know me, I'm a fan of the uh, the, the Greaser Biker Gang, but this is a little too early, but we can always say the biker gang that's back from the war.
1: Ooh. Uh, they have
0: motorcycles in World War
1: I. Um, biker Gang made of World War One veterans. All right. They've seen the worst that this world has in it, and now they're... N- Ain't afraid of nothing. Um for the fourth question, what is something that your town is obsessed with? Gain a town tag like the town sports rivalry or the annual harvest festival or the stories of cryptids in the woods.
0: Uh, I would say the story of cryptids in the sea.
1: Ooh, yeah, going with the Lovecraftian theme very much. Um all right, and then for the final question, we repeat one of the other four questions. So there might be a second landmark or a second uh, prominent citizen or a second uh, disliked group or a second obsession. Um, so what which one do you want to repeat?
0: Uh, I would throw out for the uh, the lighthouse keeper.
1: Oh, the lighthouse keeper, okay
0: that way yeah with the the lighthouse theme but he's the wise old seaman who's no longer on the sea who knows why he's not on the ocean anymore there could be a story there but he's he's probably that keen wise old guy with his slicker his pipe and at least one good eye that's always watching
1: yeah all right so um so we're in the uh we're in a coastal town in the 1920s a lighthouse overlooks uh the cliffs a biker gang of uh world war one veterans roars around town causing havoc uh the slimy mayor who knows how he's involved in that but he clearly hasn't put a stop to it and uh but the lighthouse keeper is concerning himself less with the hooligans on land and more with the monsters in the sea
0: you can practically sense the bootlegger boat going by, dropping off barrels of booze just off the coast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, for instance, if I um, if I roll on here, let me uh, let me pull up the uh, the random tables, and I'll roll to see.
0: As I refer to it as the Nastarius
1: chart. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. The uh, the GM tables. Um, all of them are in the full rule book, of course. They're not in the quick start rules. And the ones that you need to generate a mystery on the fly are also in the GM screen. Uh, and then there's even more helpful random tables in the rule book, such as uh, why won't the police help?
0: <laughs> there's always got to be some good reason.
1: So, uh, yeah, so if you'd like, now we can. Uh, roll to generate a random mystery structure and and talk it through and come up with a mystery premise together.
0: Okay.
1: So, for what is the antagonist, I got I rolled a six, which is a conspiracy.
0: Ooh, it gets deeper
1: and deeper. It is the 20s.
0: It's all about conspiracies.
1: Yeah. Uh, For what are they doing, I rolled a five, which is coercing people. Their motive... I rolled a one, which is revenge. And the inciting incident, I rolled another six, which is something happens at or to one of the town tags. And so we're looking at um, a conspiracy in town that uh, is coercing people in some way, and the players find out about it, because of one of those town tags that we uh just decided on which are the cliffs the slimy mayor the biker gang the stories of monsters in the sea and the lighthouse keeper
0: i i, I always like the idea of something happening to the bikers as a a beginning thing because then it gives the bikers a reason to be good or bad is the case might be.
1: yeah yeah and so um yeah, my, my mind also went to the bikers immediately because, like, okay, it's a conspiracy. That means it's a bunch of people. The biker gang is a bunch of people. Um, but maybe... Uh, uh, I, I One thing I like to do... Sometimes I like to go with a straightforward thing like that. Sometimes I like to, you know, kind of use that as a red herring and add a twist on it. So we maybe the biker gang's doing something bad or maybe somebody's doing something to the biker gang.
0: Maybe they're a victim.
1: Yeah, and so uh, one of the things that's a, a theme in some of Lovecraft's work, since you mentioned liking that earlier, is people turning into monsters. So maybe the uh, cryptids the in the sea are turning people into monsters maybe they, they like regularly demand some sort of sacrifice from the village and the village is trying to conspire to uh, sacrifice the biker gang instead of themselves
0: whenever you can have an outsider sacrifice themselves for you it's always better for the community
1: <laughs> yeah and so now uh, that that's like the basic idea of it uh, I would start if we were playing a full game of this, then I, uh, everyone who's playing would create a character and which would give me a lot more details and like their relationships with the town. Uh, and like there's, if somebody's, you know, character concept is their, you know, the crazy corner street preacher who's saying everyone in town is sinful, then I'm going to connect them to this story in a very different way than if their character is like the chief of police who, uh, there's like either might already know about the the monsters in the sea and the sacrifice and and want to try to put a stop to things in a different way or like might be brand new in town and and it hasn't been let in on the town secret yet uh and, it all... it,
0: and the one thing i like is when it gets to character building how they have relationships with each other
1: yeah that's something that's in the full rules but not in the uh, quick start rules you, um, each, each player can create one bond between their character and another character which means that on average each character will have two bonds one that they created with someone else and one that someone else created with them um, and a bond is a wild tag that represents how your characters know each other uh, and you can only invoke it if your two characters are cooperating on something in the same scene as each other um uh, and one thing that I think is fun is since every player creates a a bond with another character, then your character definitely knows at least one of the other player characters, but they don't necessarily know all of them, and like on average, uh you'll have two bonds, so that means you there's two other characters that you know well. But not necessarily i i've played in a game where everyone decided that like everyone knew the town librarian which was one of the character one of the player characters but that none of them knew each other outside of that so the librarian was like the focus of this social circle and everyone else was just strangers meeting each other for the first time
0: that way you get you break the everyone meets in the tavern rule <laughs> you know you, you, the nice thing is you guys know each other and the setting, so there's an instant lock for buy-in in, in the location and the players, which is nice.
1: Yeah, yeah. And of I, course,
0: it does free players that totally stay up, and we meet at the library. We didn't say there was a library, so it's just a random building in town. Yes, there's a the library. Of course, there's a the library.
1: Right. Yeah, the library won't be, like, super important to the story. You can't sacrifice it uh, to save yourself if it's not represented by a tag. But you can just go, yeah, it's, you know, it's a town in America in the 20th century. It definitely has a library. It also has a post office and a school and all that sort of stuff.
0: Then becomes so. that scene on camera where it's just background footage of a
1: library.
0: <laughs> you guys in the foreground talking about something outside the library. <laughs> because yeah. the building is not important no it's no important library for you go go to the
1: cliffs (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and conversely if you do want to have a a game where the library is important you just make it one of the town tags and now it's important you're going to be having scenes there all the time and and you might end up uh uh, watching it burn down as tears stream down your face
0: (laughs) i mean come on totally buffy the vampire slayer the school library was one of their locations you know Anytime they meet more than once, that, that's a location that's important. <laughs>
1: <So> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Cool.
0: A player can always create it's now it's now a thing, too, which is nice.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just save up three foreboding, and then they can uh, introduce a new element like that.
0: Mm-hmm. The book file really wants to have access to historical microfiche. Okay, we need a library for microfiche. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But but it's a beautifully simple system, and, and just that quick you came up with the... And and the nice thing is the GM, you still have the secret of, of the who, the what, and the where, and the why. But you yeah. have a really quick, easy way to randomly come up with it, so no three games, even if everyone picks the exact same city tags, could be the same game, which is nice. So it's infinite replayability.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there's no need to... Uh... Uh, pick the same tags every time even if you can't come up with anything there's in the quick start rules there's three examples uh, and then in the full rules for each of those questions there's another 36 examples so (laughs) if if you need to roll to to get random answers you can
0: (laughs) just in case because there are those gaming sessions when you just come out of work and you're tired and exhausted and brain juices aren't flowing and you gotta wait till like the first murder to really get the juice on <laughs> the ceiling, on the walls. <laughs> and, and one one nice thing with the Kickstarter is the, the extra stretch goals we have for the extra theme
1: books, which uh,
0: I yeah. think one of them has been unlocked.
1: That's right. Uh, as of the recording that of this, we hit one of the uh, stretch goals, which is um, so only one of the stretch goals is based on money uh, the other three uh, are are different. The one we've unlocked is if five people, other than me, run games of it during the campaign, then uh, we'll make a theme book together, as you know, me and and all of the backers, uh, and we we hit that uh, we hit that pretty quick actually, and so <laughs> um, so we're currently uh, people have nominated. Uh, a bunch of different things uh, several days ago, and I just created a poll for people to vote on which theme we'll create a theme book about together. And a, a theme book is some alternate mechanics, so like uh, different setting creation questions or different character creation questions, or maybe uh, a new move to represent, um, to, to really tell a specific kind of horror story. And so... Like, for instance, there's uh, an add on you can get which has four theme books in it Um, Curious Things, which is about characters with strange powers, Uh, Deadly Dreams, which is about uh, a killer in your nightmares. Can you guess which horror movies inspired Mm. that one? (laughs) Um,
0: Here are the claws on the wall.
1: Indeed. Uh, The Return, which is about. Uh, multiple generations in the same town and day of the mall, which is about, uh, which is set entirely in a mall instead of in a small town. Um, And right now we've got 49 responses voting on uh, what theme book we should make together. And urban exploration theme is in the lead with isolation uh, locations cut off from society uh, being in second place and objects behaving in unexpected ways being in third place
0: all of them very very material rich settings and yeah and, and i'm a big fan of the theme book ideas because it's a great way to you know literally add it's basically a mini setting book which is nice i mean i personally am hoping we get the additional what 43 backers as of as of monday to get Sean Patrick Madden <laughs> to write his horrifying heroes theme book because I'm I'm a big fan of his even before he wrote uh, the Savage Worlds Risk Games.
1: Awesome, yeah, yeah, he, uh, uh, yeah, he'll write a a uh, horrifying heroes theme book, and he's also one of the people who I I quoted a testimonial from on the uh, page, which is. This design is beautifully quirky and brilliant, intensely clever. I'm really happy to hear that uh, uh, praise like that.
0: Hey, from one beautiful creative mind to another. I mean, it really does. It, it really does lighten the spirit when you get that kind of feedback from from somebody who's also a creator.
1: Yeah, it really does.
0: And, and I personally love the fact that you've got the uh, Oracle screen for the, you know rules for the GMs on it just, just because it's nice to have that screen and let's be honest, as Game Masters when you put that screen up, it's intimidating as hell for your players, because they just know you've got something back <laughs> there even <laughs> though I totally let people behind the screen because normally I don't have one unless there's a specific privacy I need like this one, it's good to have privacy with those dice, you know, because that's the only time it is a oracle you touch them pretty much which is really nice you know, Yeah, when you're making, when you're making the, 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 the antagonist of the story you know and after that you put the dice down and it's all about your storytelling
1: yeah yeah the uh the game is uh all of the mechanics outside of of the like random inspirational tables like that are um player facing and so the gm never needs to roll for anything other than uh when when they need a a jolt of inspiration and and just in case it wasn't clear, when you roll those like random, uh, like I rolled the conspiracy for revenge, etc., uh, you don't have to go with the one that you roll. You could pick a different one. You could roll twice and pick your favorite. Uh, it's just there to inspire you, um, and and you, if you feel up to it, you can come up with a mystery that has uh, uh, nothing to do with those tables. But personally, I've been finding them helpful enough that. Um, <laughs> uh I'm pretty much always using them these days.
0: <laughs> I, I'm a fan of the Roll Twice, write them both down but with a slash between them. And after character creation and when you guys start talking, circle which one's the true one, you know. That way you uh, leave yourself a little bit of fluidity. Oh that's fun. Because that way that way it leaves the GM the creative space that he needs to, you know, or she needs to like really stamp down to what what, what you feel comfortable making the bad guy. So let's hang on. You know, to be honest, it's what you're comfortable storytelling is a very important thing in this game.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, a way I like to do it is um, roll four dice and then choose which table goes with which die. Ooh, that's uh, a good one. Yeah.
0: Roll the numbers and then pick the, the order. That, that's, yeah. another, that's another good one that lets you have a lot of creative, you know, Feng shui of the, the setting. Oh,
1: that's a fun way of putting it, Feng shui, because it's not <laughs> like it's not totally random or anything. It's it's making everything flow well. Because
0: mm-hmm. you know, when you're gonna have to put on that mask, you got to make sure you can feel comfortable wearing that mask, or uncomfortable enough, you give it justice.
1: Because
0: <laughs> sometimes, as as an oracle or a storyteller. You know that when you're playing somebody that you are so diametrically opposed to on a personal level, you can actually play them really
1: well. Yeah, that can be a lot of fun. Really freeing to to behave completely differently than you would in real life.
0: Twirl that mustache.
1: <laughs> yeah, I could play a character who could grow a
0: mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Your mustache is just incognito. <laughs> Just tell people you, you you wore a fake mustache once, and those darn kids ripped it off so fast you can't grow one again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I want revenge for that. There you go. Yeah, that that's you another never- thing. You can you, the the mood of the game is pretty much completely determined by just like what the players are doing. It's really, in my experience, it's really easy to roll with like if the players are being silly. Then you know the the crimes that are happening are also relatively silly. I won't go into like a gory, disgusting description of something. Uh, but if the players are like you know playing things super serious and, and their characters are being you know they're role playing how their characters are emotionally affected by the crime scenes and stuff like that, then I'll pull, lean into that. Mm-hmm. It's not like there's a bunch of pre written flavor text that you're committed to.
0: Yeah, that's 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 the GM secret that you you can always you know take it and make it what what you need it to be. I mean, think about it. There's a big difference between Scooby-Doo and Buffy. It's the same concept, <laughs> but totally different directions. One with the NC17 with a little R, and the other is the PG, because we know what Shaggy and the dog are really doing in the van.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh. That's, that's actually a great example talking about like scooby-doo in there because um so the the core of the game because it does have these like injuries in it and stuff leans more in the like buffy direction than in the scooby-doo direction um although but but both will work and and indeed if you make scooby-doo a little harder rated the structure of it is just like the structure of a it's campaign of fear of the unknown because uh, it's a bunch of self-contained horrifying mysteries where there's an inciting incident and some antagonist with an interesting motive. And then they have to solve the mystery and confront them. Uh, The only real difference is like, there aren't like serious injuries in Scooby-Doo the way that there are in fear of the unknown. And so um, one of the things that I really want to see people do with this game is customize it and come up with their own house rules. And so there's actually a sizable chunk of the like there's a big chapter in in the rule book that's uh, basically instruction and sort of directions for how to do that. And <laughs> one of Exactly. The, the the name of the chapter is Hack This Game. <laughs> um and and one of the examples is like how would you make this a uh a more family-friendly sort of game like, um, like Scooby-Doo. And uh, the answer that I gave is uh, let's create a new move called Solve a Lighthearted Mystery. Whenever you solve a lighthearted mystery, recover one option on face peril and lose one horror and mark off one negative tag. So like if somebody, somebody might get hurt, but they heal from it at the end of the, by the end of the episode, uh, and they, they're they not getting ever closer to death the way that people normally are, um, and they calm down a little and recover a bit of horror before uh, going into the next mystery.
0: It's, it's the magic of uh, either Velma finding her missing glasses, or that... <laughs> Fourteen-layer sandwich for the power of the Scooby Snacks. You never <laughs> know what those Scooby Snacks really are?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and um, I love that you mentioned Velma losing her glasses because one of the suggested tags when you get a minor injury is uh, like gain a gain a temporary tag. Like I've lost my glasses.
0: <laughs> hey, you and I both understand in the real world how so
1: detrimental that can be at a moment. <laughs> it- it sure can, yeah, man. Not being able to find your glasses, but glasses are what I use to find things.
0: <laughs> I need a pair of glasses to find my missing glasses. Yes. <laughs> and that's where the secret is of I have the tag of always has a pair, spare set of glasses nearby. <laughs> <laughs> Go back yeah. to the mystery machine and get my spare glasses.
1: Yeah, and so, yeah, you could, if you you had that as, like, a positive tag, and you invoked it in a scene, then I could see playing this out as, like, yeah, the antagonist um, punches you in the face and, like, uh, breaks your glasses, but then, you know, the security guard turns the corner and they run off, um, and you, uh, but you pull out your spare set of glasses and put them on, and you're fine, and it's, oh, man...
0: You see that kung-fu move where the punch right between the eyes and the glasses shatters the middle of a flying oh. stretch.
1: yeah. <laughs> exactly.
0: It's bad, but it's not that bad. So That's one thing that it, the beauty of the game is it really can be leveled for your group. I mean, you could totally say I picked the theme of the Mystery Machine, because like I joked with friends years ago before they did the Supernatural Scooby-Doo crossover episode, which I thought was hilarious, was... Supernatural really is just Scooby-Doo, but with two brothers instead who are jerks. (laughs) (laughs) And the car (laughs)
1: is I haven't watched Supernatural, but I have seen that episode, because I'm a big (laughs) Scooby-Doo fan. But,
0: you know, it's because it's totally, there we were driving to this place, and this creepy setting, this thing happened, and go. Which, you know, let's be honest, the show's been on the air for, what, 50 years? ish in one form or another oh, man
1: something like that something like a long that. time
0: i mean that's just good story writing if you can keep coming up with new material yeah i uh, got a co-worker teasing me because she'd watched the new movie and she's just like oh yeah there, there's totally this this fashion designer that's made the costumes of every nature villain they ever arrested and that's the villain of the next story and i'm like i'd actually watch that
1: <laughs> oh yeah i've seen i've seen the new one you're talking about trick-or-treat scooby-doo uh-huh. it's good yeah. it's good
0: yeah, all of a sudden she was like, "I saw that this weekend. You gotta watch it." I'm like, "Okay, it's on my list. <laughs> I put it down. I'm sure it's on somewhere for streaming." Because you know, it's just storytelling from a different version. You could totally creep it up to be something different. You know, I, I really want to see it because I was told there's a Cthulhu in a well.
1: Oh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's. Uh, uh that's like the very last shot of the movie as a just like, ooh, something spooky, Stinger. <laughs> um, and,
0: and along the, the heart of horror movies, you've got to have that after the credit Stinger. I mean, shaking eggs and moving hand. Oh,
1: yeah. And in fact, there's a mechanic in Fear of the Unknown for after the credit Stinger's like that. It's the epilogue move, which is in the full rules, but it's not in the quick start. Um, I actually, really like this one, both uh, for what it does, like in the game and sort of outside the game. Um, it has it has two parts. The first part of it is that each player goes around and says what was the most emotionally significant moment in the game for their character. And so, uh, if they, and and then if that situation involved their character being scared, they gain a horror. If it involved their character overcoming some sort of obstacle then they gain a humanity and if it if they think it will continue to have repercussions in the future then they gain a foreboding and they can get like all of these or however many are applicable so that's the first part of the move and then the second part of the move is you can make as many of the revelations as you would like and have the you know horror humanity or foreboding to uh Spend on so that's like uh, you could reveal something about yourself, reveal something about the world, or let the horror sink in. And this gives you um, like it, it won't really have any mechanical effects going forward, but it's but, fun. It, but it, it's fun. Exactly, it gives you it gives everybody a moment to like show how their character is affected by this going forward, uh, and if they have the foreboding, show how um, it affects the town going forward, and so. The whole thing is uh, uh, just just a lot of fun.
0: Like you could totally do like you're talking about the theme book, the return. You know, it's that could totally be used for a generational game game that the next you know each VHS tape chapter two of the story is like <laughs> a decade or two later. And because of what they placed in the setting, you could only you could just roll with that as a campaign. You know, you know, it's almost like uh, oh, what was that? Jeepers Creepers. Where every, yeah. couple of gen- every couple, every twenty-three years, record. yeah, yeah, it's like, and he comes back again, just in time for you, whippersnappers, not to believe the adults about the scary thing. Or, of course, you know, Freddy Krueger. We don't talk about that, kids.
1: <laughs> yeah, that—that's exactly what what uh, the return theme book is about. Is is, um, like you play a, an ordinary game, and then the next game that you play, here are some questions that uh, affect, that that change up what the town tags are to represent how the town has changed uh, over the decades in between the two games.
0: That's nice. And and on top of that, it could totally be when the GM rolls the antagonist. It could be a total red herring, or it could be completely what the expectation is. (laughs) Someone playing on the stories and actually using it for some other reason. You go from the 20s to the uh, 2000 and you know what, eight nine when Blair Witch came out. They're trying to get movie students to come out and film movies in their setting now.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's a great example. example.
0: (laughs) But Thomas, definitely. Thank you for coming up with with Fear of the Unknown. And you know, I mean, I got to thank you for on Drive Through RPG. I totally chipped in the dollar that was the (laughs) recommended. Want it is there free, which which is awesome, by the way. I mean, Thank and uh, yeah, that's
1: for the, the quick start rules mm-hmm. available anyone now who, on Dragon RPG.
0: Anyone who picks up the quick start rules, throw a review in there because I'm just saying that does help other people oh. see what gets reviewed because algorithms, because algorithms are algorithms. <laughs> uh, definitely jump in and share the Kickstarter. I mean, you know, I, I hate to say it if you can't back it, at least share, like, and comment, you know. You know, that is totally free for my artist friends out there. They know that I love sharing that. Heck, I think I shared on Facebook today one of those of the list of free things you can do for your artist friends that don't cost a penny, but will <laughs> help their productive, you know, creative art happen. Because if you don't share it, well, you're just being selfish, keeping it yourself. If you <laughs> actually liked it, you should still like it because that's just like the thing you do. And of course, comment because if there's no comments in a post on social media, these social media algorithms hide that stuff like nobody's business. You know, you know. Look at Facebook. Yeah. You'll find out about it a month later after it happens.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. All of that stuff would be incredibly helpful. Thank you. Uh, that, that, was, that was great. <laughs>
0: hey, that's one of the ways I can champion, because I like to like, comment, and share myself. So that's why I totally dropped you that, hey, if you guys want to talk about it, I'm totally playing quick start rules before the end of the month, and I'm totally backing to play afterwards the same thing, because then it's going to totally be a Thanksgiving theme horror show. Just saying.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and, uh, if you're listening to this and you think it sounds interesting, but you're not sure you want to buy it without having played it first, Uh, join the Discord, and I run games of it regularly on there. I'm running it every Saturday during the campaign, and then uh, I I also run it once or twice a month, uh, just in general, um, open to the public. Uh, You can find a link to the Discord on the Kickstarter page.
0: And uh, speaking of social media, is there any way where people can look to find you on social media?
1: Uh, Yeah, I am Sixpence Games on Twitter, and uh, but honestly, I spend more time uh, on the Discord, so that's that's the place to uh, uh, look, and especially for, for news about this after the campaign is over. I'm going to keep talking about this on, on Twitter uh, through the Kickstarter campaign, but once it's over and I'm just trying to talk to people <laughs> I know are interested in it, the Discord is the place to, to be.
0: And Discord is a great, powerful tool. I'm just, I'm just throwing that one out there. We've had online cons just on Discord. It is a very useful, powerful tool, just going to say.
1: I mean. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to an online con uh, in November. Uh, I say going to the con, but I'll be happily in my room just for the games <laughs> that I'm, uh, you know, hopping on to Discord for the games that I'm going to run or play in. Uh, it's a weekend with good friends put on by the good friends of Jackson Elias, uh, another great podcast
0: Uh (laughs) uh-huh that that should be fun as can be uk gaming exploit this was the last one i did that was strictly discord thankfully for those of us that can now travel and things there actually are cons happening which is great we recently went to RingCon, which is one of our local gaming cons which was fantastic to actually see faces Everyone did yeah. <laughs> as much social distancing as you can at a con and, and, and people were behaving so nobody got sick at the end. It's great.
1: Oh, that is good.
0: Shows shows that if you follow the rules, just like in a horror movie, you might survive the end. You might. <laughs> I uh,
1: I followed all the rules when I went to Gen Con this summer and I still came home with COVID. So oh. they and they had a lot of like good rules in place, you know, checking for vaccines before you got your wristband, uh everybody wear a mask which they actually enforced uh, but still there were just too many people in too small space
0: yep it's not like you can have an air filter every 10 feet people
1: yeah that's true yeah
0: but the important thing is you got better and we have fear of the unknown
1: that's true <laughs> that's true
0: <laughs> all right i definitely want to say thank you for coming on the show and and Thanks i for having me. we're we're gonna hang out and do some more chats if nothing else this Wednesday and Thursday, I'm going to be going to our local game store slash bar. And I've already got a couple friends that are totally like, yeah, let's show up. I'll buy you a drink if you run a game <laughs> for me.
1: Oh, man. I mean, totally That's always a fun stuff. combination.
0: You know, it's funny when you offer that. How many more drinks they try to give you to make the game even fun. <laughs> <laughs> and then a safe Uber ride home.
1: Yes, there you go.
0: But yeah, and I will definitely be giving you feedback like I told each of them that have already signed up to play. It's like, guys, from the back of your character sheets, I want at least one sentence that is legible. So that means I can read it later. So I can provide (laughs) feedback. You know, that way that we have more feedback because getting feedback is hard. Yeah. Again, it goes back to that like, comment, share. Because, you know, if if you don't give that feedback, nobody knows where it is and just how damn cool it is. And again, thank you for making this great game. And you know, thankfully, we know. Thank again, you so much. you Kickstarter you're so, you're is very welcome. successful. I, I don't think we've actually said that, but uh, you totally hit your uh, goal last week, right?
1: Uh, yeah, I hit it on day two. So yeah, it
0: was it was really early on.
1: Yeah, feeling pretty happy about that.
0: And um, uh, as a backer, I appreciate the fact you have five updates, and it's only two weeks into the Kickstarter.
1: Yeah, I try, to, I try to hit a balance between um, uh, keeping people appraised of things and and, inter- and talking with them and sharing free stuff and not, like, spamming people's inbox all the time. <laughs> <laughs> try to make and each of the, the updates meaningful. <laughs>
0: and another shameless plug I will totally throw out there is uh, Sixpence Games, who, of course, is, is creating the Kickstarter, has mm-hmm. created seven but backed 107 Kickstarters. That, oh, that, wow, that's is it that
1: many at this point?
0: That, that's what it says on Kickstarter right now. But, but <laughs> as a, a often backer, I appreciate seeing that the creator backs other stuff, too, which is cool, rather than just, you know, making that account just for the Kickstarter. You know. it makes it yeah. Like a human being, not a machine.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow, it's actually up to <laughs> 115 that have Yeah. <laughs> of which 88 were successful and 27 unsuccessful. That's really interesting. I hadn't oh. looked at that page in a, in a while.
0: <laughs> got to pour out the drink for the unsuccessful ones, because you know, yeah. not always is the time but, and inclination at the right time.
1: And and I, I got to say, uh, an unsuccessful Kickstarter does not mean an unsuccessful product, because uh, I know for my second game, Cultists of Cthulhu, which is a, a board game, um, the first time I ran a Kickstarter for it uh, was unsuccessful, but then I, you know, took took the, that, canceled that campaign, retooled some things, uh, got more outside eyes like, like yours, you know, reviewing it, um, and relaunched it, and it became my most successful Kickstarter yet.
0: Awesome. Because, again, it goes back to that feedback, you know. You know, it it does help. Plus, you know, a lot of times, like, you know, I, I've had a few friends with their games in Kickstarter, and it's like, yeah, but as, as a consumer of Kickstarter products, I'll, I'll point out, here were three other things coming out at the exact same time. And we all know when you do a Kickstarter, you don't know what else is going to drop at the same time unless they're, they're openly advertising. And it's like, unfortunately, some of the big, big three or four companies were dropping something at the exact same time.
1: yeah. Yeah that that can be uh uh if somebody else is coming out with something that's like much higher profile especially if it's you know in a similar vein that can that can be a problem um but uh but overall I like it when larger companies use Kickstarter because it brings more eyes to the platform mm-hmm.
0: Yeah I mean it, it's it's one of those of it, it is a great platform and it is super interactive which is nice and of course, I totally have to say, all you Kickstarter backers out there, check your backer kits.
1: Make sure oh, you have yeah. questionnaires. Yes. I've gotten <laughs> That's important. Like I'm
0: not getting the feedback from the people that I need.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is... Uh... <laughs> that, that is pretty important. If you want to get your stuff, uh, the people running the campaign need to know where to send it, so... <laughs>
0: <laughs> especially, especially since shipping is not included in the Kickstarters. You have to do that afterwards.
1: Indeed, if you yeah. Do
0: that, you don't get no shipping. And means yeah. your, your box stays in Canada or overseas.
1: <laughs> and yeah, and, and that's a pretty important one. Uh, I think it, it makes a lot of sense to me for people to charge that after the campaign, because that way uh, Kickstarter doesn't take a cut of the shipping, um, although Backerkit does take a cut, but it's smaller. Um, and uh, it doesn't count towards the goal because it can be pretty bad if you're like, okay, my goal is $5,000, that's what I need to, to make this project. Uh, I, I sold $4,000 worth of the stuff. Oh, but people paid $1,000 shipping, so, so we reached the goal, but we didn't actually get enough money because that $1,000 just goes to shipping. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and since shipping can vary so much based on where somebody is, it's, it's really difficult to build that in. So, so some people I've, I've seen complain about charging shipping after. I expect it because it's just so much easier and more reliable.
0: And those of us in the States can still say, thank God we're in the States and not in, you know, Australia, where you get murdered on the shipping and the import fees. <laughs> Which, yeah. you gotta feel sorry for them. I mean and it's one of those of you know, the Kickstarter pledges are for the product, not for delivery. And, you know, let's be honest, not everybody's Amazon can afford free shipping because they really don't give you free shipping. They just put hide the price.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Plus you pay a, a subscription fee to use that Amazon Prime. Yep. Which
0: damn it it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, definitely thank you for coming on tonight and, uh, you know, hanging out and chatting about fear of the unknown. And yeah. we will definitely have some follow-up chit-chats, I'm sure. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. a post-post uh, Kickstarter when you had a chance to relax and decompress.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe sometime next year or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'd love to talk with you again. This is a lot of fun.
0: All right. Thank you very much and have a great night.
1: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. If you enjoyed our show, please check out D&D Journey of the 5th Edition and Ragnarok and Roll a Scion Hero to Ragnarok Story. Also, check out our Patreon page for more content and behind-the-scenes things, as well as joining us for a one-shot game or two.